listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Well, what is the American pastime? The easy answer to that is baseball. Uh, I'm going to have a little bit of a controversial take, especially for some of you old-timers maybe. I don't think the American pastime is baseball anymore. I think it has actually changed. You know, if you look at the television ratings, you'll look how many kids are playing different sports. Baseball is kind of falling out of favor these days. I know, especially on the 4th of July, what a thing to say, but I think that it's true. So what is the new American pastime? What's American pastime right now? Well, I heard about actually an old man who was practicing this new American pastime recently. This old man happened to live next door to a preacher, poor man. And he heard his preacher neighbor the next day he was going to be out fixing his roof up on his house. So sure enough, the next morning, this old man, he hears the banging of a hammer. And he wakes up early and he goes and he gets his lawn chair. And he goes into his neighbor's front yard and just sits that lawn chair right in the front yard and sits right down on it. The preacher notices him, but doesn't say anything. They don't say anything to each other for a while. Finally, that preacher from his roof, he yells down, friend, neighbor, you, you here just to get some handyman tips? And the old man, he just yells back, nope. I just want to hear what a preacher says when he smashes his finger with a, with a hammer. A lot of us like to just sit there and wa- wait till people mess up, don't we? I think the new American pastime is criticism. We live in a culture that loves to fault find, watch people mess up, pile on, and criticize. I think criticism is the new American pastime. I was recently at a virtual conference with a bunch of Dallas Theological Seminary, some of their best-known writers and theologians, and they were lamenting that, you know, in all the years they've done ministry, they got decades of, of ministry, and all those decades... Never before have they experienced so much anger, so much criticism, and so much judgment as they do right now. And they're just saying, you know, no matter what you say, any issue, whatever side you take, that other side, they're just going to pile on the criticism. But said the worst, the worst thing you can do today is say something in the middle. Say something balanced that kind of says, acknowledges the good and the bad of two sides. They said when you do that, Everybody just piles on, both sides all at once. You get more criticism than you've ever gotten before. We just live in a culture that loves to criticize. And, you know, for two chapters now, we're in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to start chapter 7 this morning. For two chapters, Jesus has been relentless. He has totally dismantled our fantasy that we are perfect, that we are righteous in and of ourselves, that we can live up to God's standards. But y'all, Jesus knows us so well. He knows our hearts. He knows the next thing we're going to go to. Once he's proven none of us is perfect, none of us is righteous, he knows the next thing we're going to do is say, okay, maybe I'm not perfect, but I can be better than them. We're going to turn and compare and criticize. So for two chapters, Jesus has been asking us the question, how are you going to deal with your own unrighteousness? Today, he's going to approach us from a little different angle, but still he's after our hearts. Today, he's going to ask us to think about how do you deal with unrighteousness in others? 
So let's turn to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to start just in verse 1. These, verse, these words, this verse 1 is familiar to the whole world, even to unbelievers. He says, judge not that you be not judged. Now this is the world's favorite verse to quote back to Christians, isn't it? Anytime any Christian ever says that something someone is doing is wrong, there's someone right there to quote these words back and say, no, 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 Jesus said don't judge. You can't judge me. Don't judge. Ha ha, gotcha. Mic drop. Jesus said it. There's a lot of misunderstanding on what Jesus means here. Because we forget sometimes words can have multiple meanings. And so we got to be real clear about this word judge that Jesus is using and what he means here. He is not asking us to suspend all senses of of discernment, to suspend any moral judgments. He's not saying we shouldn't differentiate between good and evil or give up our critical thinking. In fact, several times he says we do need to use discernment. He's going to say it in just 14 verses. He's going to warn us to beware of false prophets who are walking around their wolves in sheep's clothing. Well, that takes some discernment, doesn't it? To be able to see who the real sheep are and the wolves in sheep clothing? Absolutely. The Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 4, he said, it says to test every spirit, every single one of them, test it to see whether it's from God. That takes discernment. That takes some moral judgments. And then Jesus comes right out and says in John chapter 7, verse 42, he comes out and commands us to make right and proper judgments. There are times we absolutely need to practice good judgment. So what does he mean here when he tells us not to judge? The meaning of judge in this context, it's not moral discernment. Jesus is talking about self-righteous criticism. He's talking about this condemnation that we have that comes from, this birthed out of this pride, this sense of self-superiority. He's talking about a critical spirit. He's talking about when we scrutinize, when we fault find and we condemn. He's talking about when you set yourself up as the judge, the guy in the black gown and the gavel and the big chair, who's issuing who is guilty ultimately and who is innocent. And what we have to be aware of, guys, is he's talking to believers here. He's not talking to all those evil unbelievers out there. He's talking to his followers. And it's sad, but it's true. Often the most critical places on earth are churches. Great preacher J. Vernon McGee said one time, the only exercise some Christians get is jumping to conclusions and running down others. Unfortunately, it's true. Too often we can just be like that old man, just sitting there waiting for people to mess up. Why is that? Why, Why do we do that? Well, you know, I think maybe sometimes it's because we have the word of God, don't we? We know his righteous standards. We know the truth. But then we just misuse it. We we, we use it as a weapon against others. We use it in a way that God has never intended us to use it. And Jesus has a warning for us when we're tempted to do that. Let's look at verse 2. He says, For the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it will be measured to you. He's saying, all right, before you saddle up on your high horse, remember... Your primary concern isn't someone else's judgment. It's your coming judgment. That's your primary concern. And you got to be very careful because the second you criticize someone else, you can no longer plead ignorance. You are proving that you know right from wrong. 
It's the old, we all learn this in school, you know. Point to your friend, say something, and you, they get, you get the, oh, we got one finger pointed at you. You got three pointed back at yourself. You know, so when I was a kid, I'd do this. It's that whole concept right there. Imagine this. Imagine you're driving down Highway 110 right here. You're headed south when the speed limit goes from 55 to 45, down to 35. But you didn't know, you didn't see that 35 mile an hour speed limit. And so sure enough, you get a speeding ticket. And you decide to go before the judge and contest it. And you say, I didn't know. I thought the speed limit was 45. That's why I was going for 35. I didn't know. Judge says, boom, guilty. Sorry, pay your fine. The next day, that exact same judge is driving down here in 110 in that exact same spot, gets a speeding ticket. Can that judge say, I didn't know? Can he say, I didn't see the sign? Of course not. He just condemned someone else for doing the same thing, didn't he? By judging, you're acknowledging a standard of right and wrong. And before you worry about if they are living up to the standard, you have to worry about if you are. The point Jesus is making here is that all God needs to condemn someone is to judge them by their own standards. Anyone who has ever said anything is wrong, whether they believe in God or not, at that moment, they must then look inward and ask if they perfectly meet that standard. And the answer is, of course, no, you don't. No one. Has anyone in the history of the world ever, every time they lay their head down, that head hits their pillow, been able to look back every day and say, you know what, everything that was wrong, I avoided, all of it. And not only that, everything I possibly could have done good, I did all of it today and do that every day of their life. No, of course not. And so what Jesus is pointing out here is that all of our criticism, here's the only thing it accomplishes. The only thing it accomplishes is it points out our own guilt before God because we don't even live up to our own standard. So to further illustrate his point, he gives us a short parable. It's really well known. And y'all, it's ridiculous. It's funny. He says in verse three and four, why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? Jesus is pointing out, you know, there's a proper order in how we deal with faults and imperfections and unrighteousness. And the place you always start is with yourself, which is the last place I usually want to start. And so he gives this comedic, ridiculous example, y'all. I think everyone that heard of this would have laughed because the picture is just comedic. He says, when we criticize others, but we forget our own faults. We're, we're like someone, the word is actually a log, it's actually a rafter. So picture this big metal rafter right here just protruding out of someone's eye and we'll walk up to somebody and be like, I think you got a little something right there. That's ridiculous, isn't it? That's what we're like. It's, it's what we do. Isn't it true that, man, with other people, we'll get out of magnifying glass looking for the smallest imperfection. But with ourselves, we're like Rick Moranis in that movie, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Y'all seen that classic movie? Y'all need to get Disney Plus and go, I think there's three of them you can watch. Get the shrink ray, and we just get these huge things protruding out of our hearts, and we just shrink it down, make it no big deal. You know, our sins are understandable. They're not that big a deal. They're acceptable. Oh, but their sins, they're terrible destructive, inexcusable. Who could ever do such a thing? Jesus is clear. 
when we follow that natural inclination of our hearts, we're not helping. We're not helping even a little bit. So it gets a little harsh in verse 5. It says, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So Jesus calls us all hypocrites. When you have a critical spirit without addressing your own fault, he says, you are a hypocrite. Now, lots of people like to say this, you know, every so often, somebody would love to say, you know, that church is full of hypocrites. Like they're, it's like breaking news or something. They just made some discovery. Well, y'all, Jesus said it first. Jesus called us all hypocrites first. And here's the problem. Hypocrisy cannot heal. Our hypocrisy cannot heal. It will stand in the way of the healing God wants to bring to you and to them. See, it's important to know, and sometimes when we misuse this passage, this is what we miss. Jesus isn't minimizing the problem of sin. And if you've ever gotten a little speck of sand or a little speck of dirt in your own eye, you know that's a problem. It can be debilitating. You can't do anything else until you get that thing out. And notice that's the goal in verse 5. The goal in verse 5 is to eventually be able to help other people remove their speck. Healing is the goal. But the hypocrisy of a critical spirit will not heal them, and it will not heal you. Not a single time, never, has a critical spirit healed someone's soul or caused them to repent of their sins. Never. And so if you make it your job to sit there and tell the rest of the world how they ought to behave without dealing with your own prideful, critical heart, dealing with your own sin, Jesus is saying, you are not a part of the solution. You are a part of the problem. Think about what it takes to get a little, little speck of dust out of someone's eye. It's very delicate. You know, the eye, our eyes are probably the most sensitive part of the human body. It's hard to get even close to it without flinching and, and closing up. You know, I remember when I was a kid, when I first learned to get uh, contact, when I first got contact lenses, and I had to go and learn to put them in. Y'all, it took me over an hour, because any time my finger would get remotely close to my eye, I would just involuntarily go into spasms and conniptions. My whole body rejected it. Cleaning out an eye takes gentleness, carefulness, patience, sympathy. These are the opposite of a critical spirit. Also, it strikes me that cleaning an eye requires you to get really close to that person. If you go to an eye doctor, they're going to get in your personal space, aren't they? They're going to know what your breast smells like. I can criticize someone from a distance. Healing takes relationship. It takes us coming close. And you cannot have a sustained relationship with a critical spirit. The hypocrisy of a critical spirit prevents exactly the kind of closeness, care, and relationship needed to help someone with a speck in their eye. But you know what? The reverse is also true. Isn't it true that People are always more willing to receive help and let people in when we are open and humble about our own faults. That's absolutely how it works. But then, then Jesus says, you know, as you go, 
as you deal with your own beams and, and go to help others with their own specks, he has one last warning for us. He says, you know what? Some people won't want your help, and they certainly won't want God's help. So he has one last warning for in verse 6. He says, do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Now, first of all, I'd point out, this shows that Christians must be discerning, right? We're not just allowed to never discern and lose our moral judgment. Also, you need to understand, Jesus here, he's not talking about your sweet little puppy at home, okay? Think wild hogs, wild pigs. In those days, dogs and pigs were the dirtiest, mangiest animals around. So think about the wild hogs we have today. They'll, they'll come on your property. They'll just destroy everything. They're huge pests. They're scavengers. And if you get in their way, they're going to run you over. Jesus is giving us this extreme contrast. So you've got these wild, ravenous beasts, the worst pests you can think of. He's contrasting them to, he says, the, the holiness of God and, and gives us the illustration of a pearl. Well, what's the pearl? Well, in context, the pearl is the kingdom of God. That's what he's been talking about the whole Sermon on the Mount. And later he's going to tell, tell a parable about the pearl of great price. So he's saying this. The picture is you're, you're giving the holiness of God, his kingdom, to pigs and dogs. So, and he says, well, what's going to happen if you do that? Well, if you try to feed a pig a pearl, you gotta, you're going to have a problem. Because pigs don't value pearls. Pigs, pigs love mud and trash. They don't care anything about pearls. So what's going to happen is you're going to throw them a pearl. They're going to try to eat it. They're going to figure out they can't eat it. That's going to make them angry. So they're going to trample the pearl, and they're going to look up at you and say, you jerk, you tried to feed me that, and they're going to come attack you. So what's Jesus' point here? What's he saying? He's saying just as we shouldn't be hypercritical of some, we shouldn't excuse others. He's saying don't lower God's standards for people who have no value for it anyway. You're going to cheapen the holiness of God, and they're only going to reject God and attack you. That's all that's going to happen. You know, it's sad. It is. It's tragic, but it is true. There are people who will see no value in the kingdom of God, and they will totally reject it. In those circumstances, guys, we, we, we can't say things like, well, they mean well. You know what? Don't worry about it. God just wants you to be happy. Hey, you live your truth. You just do what feels right. And then act as if they have a place in God's kingdom. You know, this kind of situation, I think, is, is rare, but we see it in Paul's ministry three times. Of all the times Paul shared the gospel, all the places he went, the book of Acts, there's three times where Paul says, I've given you the gospel and you've rejected it, and my job is done. Acts 13, he goes to Pisidian Antioch, and a group of Jews there, they reject the gospel. And so the Bible says that Paul and his companions, they shook off the dust from their feet against them. They went on to another town, and Paul said, since you thrust it from you, and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. You've rejected the holiness in the kingdom of God, and so now we're taking it to other people. Again, Acts 18, he goes to Corinth. Some reject there, and so they shook out their garments, and they said to the people, your blood be upon your own heads. I'm innocent. One more time in Acts 28 in Rome, again, some Jews heard the gospel. They reject it. So Paul says, let it be known to you then that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He's saying, I'm, I'm taking this valuable message of God's kingdom to people who will listen to it, not who will reject it and trample over it. See, we all have this temptation, I think, to lower God's standards, to make them more palpable, 
And this is especially true when it's someone we love, isn't it? You know, I, I used to work at a, a summer camp, and we would go to these college campuses all over the country, and we'd interview these college students uh, to come work in the summer. We had the same interview questions we went through with every person. Y'all asked these questions a hundred times, hundreds of times. And we, we always had this one section where we asked them just about different issues and what the Bible said about them. And so, uh, you know, it'd be things like drunk, drunkenness, promiscuity, homosexuality, lying, cheating, and it always went the same. You take one at a time, they say, oh, it's a sin, it's a sin, it's a sin. Well, I don't know about that one. So you follow up, you know, well, what do you think the Bible says? about? Oh, the Bible says it's a sin. There's no doubt about what the Bible says. Well, then, you know, why your hesitation? What's going on there? Same answer every time. Well, either I or my fill-in-the-blank friend, uncle, brother, roommate struggles with that. And you can just see this wrestling between their head and their heart. You know, where they knew what the Bible said about all of the issues. But there were a certain group of things that, you know, they could judge those from afar. Those, that wasn't personal. But the things that were personal, they wanted to adjust the standard for. You know, we all do. We, we all have this tendency to ignore the beam in ourselves, but also in the ones we love or the ones who are like us. But you see what we're doing when we do that? It's just the other side of the coin of being critical. We want to get a microscope and be critical when it suits us for people we don't like, then we want to lower the standard for ourselves and our loved ones. Just as we're prone to, to maximize the faults people we don't love, we're prone to minimize them in people we do, ourselves included. You know, in both circumstances, in both situations, we cast ourselves in the wrong role. As the judge with the big black gown and the big gavel and the big chair, ready to either condemn or declare innocent based on how it suits us. Both ways, we are setting ourselves up as God and adjusting the standards based on our own self-interest. That's what Jesus is warning us against. I mean, when I, this was a hard passage to study this week because it was convicting. But I think Jesus' teachings here are so important for us to remember as believers in the world we live in. In a culture whose new favorite pastime is criticism. Because what Jesus is warning us about here, as a Christian, he is reminding us that you can be completely right and completely wrong at the same time. It reminds us you can, you can be completely right about the speck in someone else's eye. You can know the Bible front and back. You can know exactly what God says about it and completely right about other people's sins. But be completely wrong in how you handle it. We have to remember this. Because, y'all, the world is watching to see how we talk to and about one another. I thought of three words this week. They were three words that were honestly discouraging. Three words that I think can help us gauge what the world sees from us and how we talk to and about one another. Politics, race, and COVID. How have we done and how we talk to and about one another in those three areas. I want you to 
Think of someone. Think, think of someone you know you couldn't disagree with more in one of those areas. I mean, it's like y'all are from another planet. Do you have critical conversations about that person, either to yourself or to others? Do you wait for them to mess up? Do you take a, a certain amount of satisfaction at their failures? Deep down, do you really kind of think you're better than them? You know, there's, there's countless examples. People who eat wrong, discipline their kids wrong, dress wrong, they just make bad decisions. Y'all, I have to say, studying this passage this week and examining my own heart, I have to be honest. I have picked up the new American pastime. I love to criticize sometimes. No one in here, other people, other people. And I was asking myself this week, you know, examining my heart, why do I so quickly jump to criticize others? And here's, here's what I arrived at. It's the most efficient way I have to make myself look good. Now, y'all, that's ugly. That's sin. When I come to the Sermon on the Mount, I'm, I'm forced to confront the fact that the problem isn't out there. It's in here. It is my own prideful, critical heart. My guess this morning would be I'm not alone. So what if we followed the Sermon on the Mount instead and how we talk to and about one another? You know, Jesus, all throughout Scripture, he calls us to deal with unrighteousness in others, not with criticism, but with love. Treating each other with love looks very different, doesn't it? I thought of some ways. Some ways maybe some of my interactions and my relationships would look different if I responded to people with love instead of criticism. Love wants what's right. Criticism wants to be right. Love compares everyone to God. Criticism compares everyone to themselves. Love works for redemption. Criticism stops with condemnation. Love mourns the sin in others. Criticism takes satisfaction in it. And love wants to be used by God to glorify his name. Criticism wants to use God to glorify my name. It seems obvious, y'all. Doesn't the way of love sound way better? Of course it does. So how do we change? Well, Jesus says the first step is to take that beam, that log, out of our own eye. And I got to tell you, there is only one way those logs come out of our eyes. And that is by experiencing the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. See, through these parables, this morning you fit into one of four categories. At best, you've got a debilitating speck of dust in your eye. It might be small, but it's debilitating and you can't get it out. But y'all, the other options are worse. Other than that, your options are either you've got a beam in your eye or you're a dog or you're a pig. Those are your options. He said, well, why is Jesus being so harsh here? Well, it's because realizing that you're one of those four things, y'all, it is way better than fooling yourself into thinking you're righteous on your own. It's way better. Because then you realize, hey, just as there is one perfect righteous standard that applies to everyone, then you realize there is also grace that is available to everyone. 1 Timothy 1.15 says this, This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. 
that Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners. That means the only people who are disqualified are the ones unwilling to admit that they are sinners. That's it. Experiencing that, that grace, that forgiveness when you didn't earn it, that's the only thing that heals a critical heart, men and women. There's a perfect example of this, a perfect picture of this from the life of Jesus in Luke 7. Jesus is there. He's hanging out with his disciples. The Pharisees are there. It sounds like a big party. Then all of a sudden, a woman comes in, a woman that the Bible describes is a woman of the city. Okay, this is no one's proud to bring this woman home to mama. But then she does something unbelievable. She sits at Jesus' feet weeping. She washes his feet with expensive oil. She, she dries her feet with her hair. And immediately, the Pharisees, their critical spirit kicks in. And they just start listing all the sins of this woman, all the things she's done wrong. And Jesus' response, it's amazing. It's, it's, it's brilliant. He totally ignores the Pharisees. Doesn't even acknowledge them. Instead, he looks right at Peter. He says, Peter, pop quiz time. Who's going to love a master more? The servant who's been forgiven just a little bit of a debt or the one who's been forgiven a large debt? And Peter, he may not be the sharpest tool in the shed, but he knows the right answer. Well, obviously, the one who's been forgiven the large debt, and Jesus says, Peter, she's right in front of your face. This woman whose sins are many, there's a lot of them. She's been forgiven much, and so she loves much. For some of you, the reason you are angry and afraid and critical and you can't get along with people, it has, listen, it has nothing to do with all the specs out there. The, the world's the same it's always been. It's because you need to experience and appreciate and fully accept the grace and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. I mean, it's exhausting, isn't it? I mean, can you imagine how exhausting it would be to carry this beam around out of your eye all the time? Some of you can't imagine it because you've been carrying around a critical spirit for a long time. And Jesus' message to us this morning is, why don't, why don't you just lay that down? Just lay it down. Stop keeping score. There's all the grace that you and I need. And for all of us, each and every one of us, here's my prayer. As we walk out those doors, as we walk out those doors and we encounter unrighteousness in others, Let's do it not as people who criticize much, but as people who love much, because we have been forgiven much. Can we do that this morning? Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.